And so, God, we're in the season of Thanksgiving right now. And Lord, as the world tries to tell us to begin to look towards the things that we don't have, to begin thinking about what we wish to receive for Christmas, we pray that you would stop our, our minds and our attitudes from going down that road, God, because you have provided so much for us. From the money that we have to the possessions that we have to the families and the children and just everything, God, comes from you as we just sung. So, God, we pray that um, this season you would give us a blessed time of being truly thankful for what you have given to us. And that we would also think in this time of thanksgiving of the gift that you gave us in Jesus Christ. So allow our hearts to focus there, God. And we thank you for this day as we talk about what it means for us to be obedient to you. We pray, God, that you would bring joy to us, that you would convict our hearts of the things that you desire for us to do, God, and that we would not be busy about anything other than doing the things that you want us to, God. We thank you for the privilege we have to worship this morning, and we pray that you would give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Glad you're here, and it's good to see some of our college folks are back from uh, on break, and so welcome. We're glad to see you all. Um, hey, you know, we've been in a series over the past few weeks talking about the joy of giving, and we have been talking to you as a church about what it means for you to tithe. And as I've said every week, I'm going to say it again, I feel like we don't love you if we don't teach you about giving to the Lord. Because you're not giving to just this place, you're giving to the, the mission of the church. And so it's important for us as a church to talk about that, you know. And so we're going to continue to talk about that today. But today's a little bit different because today we're going to kind of talk about what we get out of it. <laughs> that sounds weird or not. But the reality is, is when we give a gift to God, we do receive a blessing in turn. Now, if you remember the first week of our sermon series, we were talking about what it looks like for us as Christians to give out of our poverty. That, that in fact, God doesn't necessarily judge the amount of the gift that we give. He, in fact, judges the heart by which we give it. And we talked about how, for some of us, God has, has blessed us to be bajillionaires and how God has blessed some of us to be, I've got $10 in my pocket heirs, all right? <laughs> and, but it doesn't matter because God wants you to give from a generous heart how you can give. And for some of us, that means we're even going to give out of our poverty. It means some of us are going to give till it hurts. And you know what? That's beautiful. It's good. It's not the, um, it's not the amount, but it is the heart. We talked about how we are to be generous givers, and I used the old adage that Christians are in fact known as some of the cheapest tippers in the industry, but the reality is, is we shouldn't be. We should be the best tippers because we have been given a gift in God. We have been blessed. Everything has been given to us, and so we should be willing to, to give generously to those around us, not just of our money, but of our time and our, and, our, and our talents as well, that we should be willing to spend time and invest with people and to give those things to God, that we are in fact to find joy and generosity. Remember, giving to the Lord is not a duty, it is a privilege. Just like prayer is not a duty, it is a privilege. And we need to see it that way. We talked about how there's joy in the harvest. 
how God delights when His people give in such a way that the gospel is, is, is furthered. God wants us to, to talk about Him. He wants us to give our money to the furthering of the kingdom of God. He wants us to give our time and our, and our talents to the furthering of the kingdom of God because God wants us to just be very overly generous with spreading the seed of the gospel. And when you give to the church, you're participating in that in one form or another. Because we will reap what we sow. If you remember, I shared a very bad parenting story with you last week. And we will <laughs> reap what we sow. And if you sow seeds of life, life will be produced because of what God does in us. And you see, when we're obedient to what God has called us to, we will find joy in that. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is we're going to talk about joy in obedience. When I was in Africa back in 2007, I was with a group of people um, who we were working at a, at, a, at a location called Joska. It was a little bit north of Nairobi. And I'd taken this group of people to there so that we could um, do some water projects. We were going to teach uh, how to do pig farms and some different things called microenterprising to help the community. And so when we were coming into this community, I remember we had a team, uh, a good team of people with us. And one of the people on the team was a guy we called Dr. Doug. He was a, do he was a doctor, and his name was Doug, so that's why we called him that. But he was on the team. Um, and then there was just some other folks from our church, and um, some folks actually in this church were on that trip with me as well. And so we're there, and we were driving into Joska. And, and I remember when we were uh, about a mile and a half out from the city, there's this, or the city, hold that loosely, the orphanage that we were at, there was this little house. And when I say house... I want you to scrap whatever image of a house you have in your mind because, see, this was actually a, a little hut made out of cow manure. It's called a dung hut. And I remember as we drove by this little hut, this little child came running out and began to run behind our, our little um, van, uh, bus, whatever you want to call it. And as we got closer, you would see this little kid run closer and closer to the orphanage. But when he got to a certain point within the, the, the region where everybody was living around the orphanage, this little child would stop and stay outside of, the, of that. We didn't think anything of it. We just thought, this kid's creeped out because he's never seen white people before, which was just true. A lot of these folks had never even seen white people before. And so when you get there, and you open the doors and you step out, there's this, this, this mystery about us Mazungas, as they call us. <laughs> and so we step out, and, and if you've ever been to Africa, you know the joy about what I'm going to say is, is the moment we stepped off this bus, all of the children in the community, whether they were orphans or not, just engulfed us like, like a sea of awesome, happy love. It was just the most fantastic feeling ever. Every finger had a kid grabbing at one of my fingers. They, like there was children holding my fingers and kids wrapped around my legs. And, and we don't even know what half of them were saying, but they were just so excited that there were people there to love on them. And they, they were excited. And so it was just this tremendous like hey, this is pretty good <laughs> moment. But I remember seeing that little boy or that little kid who, who had run and follow us. He was sitting out there just smiling, not participating. So the first day was overwhelming and I thought we didn't think anything of it. Well, the second day I remember asking one of the other little children, what's with, what's with that kid over there? Why does he not come in and, and hang out? That one, the child said. I said, yeah. He says, oh, no, he's sick. I said, what do you mean he's sick? He's, he's got leprosy. He's sick. We don't like him. And he picked up a rock and whipped a rock at the kid. And so as we're sitting there and, and going throughout the week, we came to the realization that this little child, who we weren't actually sure was a boy or a girl at the time, 
was, was labeled as unclean because they, were, they had leprosy. They had been diagnosed by, uh, by a doctor early in the child's life. The kid was eight years old, and, and it's seven years later, and he had leprosy. And so he had been driven out of the community. He wasn't welcome in the neighborhoods. Nobody wanted him. Nobody loved him. No one cared for him. In fact, the community, we would find out later, so told everybody a story that his mother was, in fact, a witch, and this was God's way of condemning that family. And so you've got this seven-year-old little child sitting over there just laughing and just so joyous because he's watching the children play. And I remember we took these things called finger darts, and and kids love these things, and you just shoot them at each other like little Nerf darts. And and there was a guy on the trip by the name of Jeff who decided, he said, you know what, God has called me to be here to play with all of these children, to minister to all of these children, and I'm not leaving that little child out. And he shoots this finger dart over at this little boy that we found out was a boy, and we found out he actually was called Kababa. Everybody actually referred to him as that one. They wouldn't even give him a name, but his name was Kababa. He came from the tribe of the rule people, and people couldn't even understand what he was saying. And so Kababa was sitting over there, and and my cousin Jeff had shot this dart at him, and I remember thinking, Jeff, what are you doing? You're starting to dabble in some waters that are not safe. This kid has been diagnosed with leprosy. You're really inviting something awful in here. And I said, Jeff, you need to cool it. He said, no, man. God has called me to this. God has told me that I'm the minister to that little boy. And so for the entire day, they shot darts at each other. Simple, right? The next night, we, or that night, we talked about it as a group. And the next morning, we went back and I really challenged Jeff, you know, this is not anything to joke with. Leprosy will kill you. You need to be careful. And in this moment of passion, Jeff was watching as kids were throwing rocks at Kababa and throwing sticks at him. And he just said, no, this this isn't what God called me to. God called me to love this child. And in this raw emotional state, Jeff runs over and he grabs Kababa in his arms. And as the trip leader, in my mind, I'm going, oh my gosh. What am I going to now have to deal with? Because if you don't know, leprosy is highly contagious. It comes from touch. And Jeff said he didn't care about the consequences because he was going to be obedient to God, whether it cost him his life or not. And I thought, this is just getting out of hand real quick. Kababa began to squeal, this joyous squeal like I've never heard in my life. For seven years of this little kid's life, nobody touched him. He began to say things, and we couldn't understand them. And, and he's squealing, and he's got this smile on his face, and he wraps his arms, and he's kissing Jeff on his cheek. So we just didn't know what to do. So Dr. Doug walks over to Jeff as he's holding this little boy, and he begins to look at Kababa. He said, Kababa, where's your family? So we find out where Kababa's family were at, and Dr. Doug said, there's nothing about this boy is leprous. There's no symptoms of leprosy on this boy. We need to find out what's going on. And so to make a long story short, through a lot of investigation, we found that through interpretational errors, errors, the little boy had epilepsy. And for seven years of his life, people were told he had leprosy and nobody would touch him. And what would happen is, is the community that we were in was completely divided because everybody was afraid of this. And so everybody would just abuse this family. But because of one person's obedience, stupid, ridiculous obedience to something that God was telling him to do, what came after was one of the most beautiful things of the church I have ever seen because they welcomed Kababa in. 
And when they welcomed Kababa in, they welcomed his family in. The kids began to play with him. They began to refer to him as Kababa. They didn't call him that one anymore. And I want to tell you this, church, when we as a church are obedient to the ridiculous thing that God tells us to, there is unity in his family. There is healing in his family. And because of the ridiculous obedience of Jeff, this town was forever changed. The Corinthian church is going through something very similar in 2 Corinthians 9. As we've been talking over the past few weeks, we know that the church in Jerusalem is taking up tithes and offerings because they're trying to care for those who are in need and the resources and finances have run out. And so the the eastern churches are, are taking up a collection, but there's something about these churches that we haven't talked about up until this point of this series. And that's this. Remember we said Paul was kind of on the outs with the Corinthian church because there were some false teachings and different things going on. And this was a moment of reconciliation. Because you see, what was happening was, is there was a group of believers who are like most of you and I, who are referred to as Gentiles. Basically, we're not Jewish. And there's a group of Christians, especially the ones in in Jerusalem, who are Jewish. And so there's this ridiculous little squabble going on over over being a Jewish Christian or being a, a Gentile Christian. And they're not getting along for some reason. And so what Paul is trying to say in this passage of Scripture to us today is that there needs to be unity in the church. If you remember back in 1 Corinthians, what's one of the major themes Paul talks about? We're all one body. We have many parts. It's because this squabble is getting out of hand. And so when he refers to the Corinthian church and he says, I want you to give to this, there's a bigger reason behind it than what we see at first. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there with me right now to 2 Corinthians 9.12. Paul says these words, he says, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Do you know when you give to the church that you're not just simply giving to an electric bill or anything like that? You're giving to people's needs. People's needs are being met. And what Paul says here is not only are you giving to the needs of the church of Jerusalem, but what's happening here is people are turning to God and thanking God because of your blessing. Because you are being obedient to what God has called you to. You're supplying for their their physical needs, but now there's a spiritual need being met as well. He says, supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Now listen to me. The church is glorified when we're obedient. Not the church. God is glorified when we're obedient. But see, there's something hidden in this text that the readers of this day would absolutely get. Because you see, the church in Corinth is a Gentile church. And there's this humongous disagreement, remember, between the the Jewish church and the Gentile church. And Paul's saying that because of your faithfulness to this gift, when you step up and honor your commitment, the Jewish Christians in Israel are going to be blessed. And they're going to thank God because you're tearing down the wall of division. And you're actually bringing unity to the body of Christ. And people are going to turn to God and they're going to sing praises to God, not because you're so fantastic, but because of what God is doing in you. He says this, 
Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you. So not only is the Gentile church showing up to take care of the Jewish church, now Paul's saying the Jewish church is going to in turn pray for your needs. And so what's going to happen is is because you're obedient to honoring what you're you're commanded to by God and what, what we get to do by God by giving, because you're obedient to that, there is going to be unity in the church. And throughout the history of the early church, this moment is looked at as a unifying moment into what we have become as a church today. Because when the churches in Macedonia and the churches in Achaia, that's the region that these cities are from, began to give generously to the church in Jerusalem, they start to realize how stupid their fighting is. And they begin to come together as one body. And there is a joy in obedience. I promise you this, church, that when you are obedient to what God is calling you to, He will do something ridiculously fantastic with it. And whether that's you giving of your money, your time, or your talents, God will bless it. There's a lot of us out there that live lives of fear that we know that God is telling us to do something, but we refuse to do it. I was talking to a friend the other day who said, I just felt so convicted there was somebody, somebody standing on the side of the road and God put it on my heart that I should just turn around and go talk to them. And, and I don't even know why. And I want to tell you this, if God's putting that ridiculous stuff in your heart, there is a reason for it, and you need to be obedient to it. And I promise you this, you're not going to have the words, you're not going to know what's going on, but you have a Holy Spirit that does know what's going on, and God will equip you and give you what you need in those divine moments. Talking to some folks before the service, it's not that hard when you really think about it to share our faith. We just need 15 seconds of stupid courage to get over the fear because God will show up. So in your lives, there's things right now that you're thinking about that God has commanded you to do and you have been disobedient, not because you hate God or you're rebellious, but because you're simply afraid. And I want to say this to you. God will do something ridiculous when we're obedient ridiculously. I think of that little boy that was infected and and was considered death. There he was, a plague on a community. Somebody was obedient and loved him, put his arms out and picked him up and said, I love you. When we were leaving from that trip, Kababa pointed at Jeff and started saying some word that I can't even repeat. It had a clicky in the tongue. I don't know how these, these folks talk like they do, but Kababa said something, and it was just, it was beautiful. And so we went and grabbed somebody, and we said, what did Kababa say? And he said, he pointed at this guy and said, Daddy. Hmm. And I want to tell you this. Every single one of us in this room is infected with something that will kill us, and it's called sin. And every single one of us has a God in heaven who loves us enough that regardless of the effects it might have had on him, Jesus Christ came down to this earth, he stretched out his arms, he picked you up in his arms regardless of whether he would catch the sin or not, and he said, I love you, you are mine, and we should look at him and say, Daddy. Because we have a God who loves us regardless of how gross we are. 
only thing he's asking us to do is to be obedient to him. Church, are you obedient to the one that loves you? Because I'm going to tell you right now, God does awesome things when his people are obedient. And this is the best part. It's always so much better than we think. And it never, never fits into our picture. Because God thinks way bigger than we do. We have something to be thankful for, don't we? You see, Paul closes this passage by saying these words, and this is considered what's called a doxology. He says this. He said, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. That gift that God gave to us was Christ. And so as the church is obedient in Corinth, the gospel spreads further and further and further until it hits you and I because of the obedience of the Corinthian church to what God called them to. And I want to tell you, we have a lot to be thankful for. We have the gift of Christ. Everything that we receive, everything that we have, has come from Him. And so this morning, as we call this our in-gathering Sunday, this is our opportunity to give back a portion of what God has given to us, to take care of those in need, to take care of those who aren't going to have food at Thanksgiving dinner. But because of the generous spirit that God has placed in you, you're going to be able to reap a joy knowing that there are families who are going to have Thanksgiving dinner because you decided to love them with a couple cans of food. I love Chelsea's story because she just, she just said, you know what, I'm going to do a service project for wounded veterans and they're going to know that Jesus loves them. She didn't want glory and credit for that, but because of her obedience to God, people were blessed. And I promise you, church, if you're obedient to God this morning, he's going to do amazing things. So this morning's in-gathering. We get a chance to give back to God. Let me tell you what in-gathering means. In-gathering means to come to a common place to gather and to bring your gift to the Lord. And isn't it funny that when the Corinthian church was obedient to God, that they were able to come to a common place with the church in Jerusalem. And the church in Jerusalem began to pray for them. And there was unity in the body. So we learned that when God's people are obedient, there's unity. When God's people are obedient, the gospel spreads. And when God's people are obedient, needs are provided for. So this morning, as you bring your gift in a moment, you can bring your tithe you can bring your, your pledge to the church. You can bring up your bags of food. And if you're new, we want to say welcome. Please don't feel like you need to come up and bring anything. If, if you want to bring that little visitor card that's in our pamphlet and you want to bring that up and offer that to us, we would love to reach out to you as a church family and just say, hey, we're glad you're here. So let that be your gift to us this morning. But we're going to invite you to come. And as you come, you're going to come down these side aisles and I'm going to give you instructions here in a minute. But let me, let me pray. I need to pray. God, we love you. All good things come from you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for the way that you have set us free, the way that you have blessed us, and the way that you gave your life so that we could live freely. Regardless of how gross and sinful and dirty we are, God, you've loved us. And you've said, I want you to go, and I want you to be my hands, and I want you to be my feet. And so God, help us to be people who give generously, courageously, give out of our poverty joyously with a thankful heart, knowing that, God, we will reap a joy from our obedience. And that joy doesn't point at us, but it points at you. May you receive all the glory. So, God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for Thanksgiving and our families. Speak to us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said a minute ago, 
You're going to come forward here in a moment. And you can bring your tithe. You can bring an offering. You can bring your little card. You can bring um, your pledge. Or you can bring your bags of food. But as you do so, I want to challenge you. Pray as you come down the aisle that God will use these things for the furthering of His kingdom and for His glory. And as you walk up this aisle, going back to your seats, I want you to ask God to convict your heart. Convict your heart of that thing that you know that you haven't been obedient to Him in. And I want you to ask Him to give you the ridiculous courage you need to be obedient. Because God's not going to abandon us in the situations that He puts us in. He will see us through. And the end is going to be great. Amen. Amen.